Hi, my name is Juliette, and I'm the host for this podcast. I am studying to be a rabbi. I will be ordained very soon, in just a few months. And in Judaism, there's a parsha or a, a reading that we have for every week of the year. We follow the Torah, and we're just starting a new parsha this week. Breshit. In fact, we're starting the Torah. What I meant to say is we're starting the Torah all over again. We go through the cycle, and then we start again the next year. And here we are. This is our first. This is our first time at the end of the holidays, and it's very exciting. So, to a new year. I I want to talk to you today about babies and Breshit and the baby naming that I led last Sunday, this past Sunday, for a newborn baby girl. It was such a perfect way to start the new year. New baby, new year, new year, new baby. The father had told me he had no idea what a baby naming entailed. And of course, that's because we're making it up as we go. We're trying to bring attention. You know, circumcision has always been a big thing. Brit Milah for boys, but people, many people are not aware that for girls you can also have a ceremony. More and more people are, are aware of it. But um, So what we're trying to do is bring attention to, to girls as we strive to gain equal recognition for females upon entering the covenant. Um, this is not to mention what to do for an intersex child or how interesting that the rabbis of the Talmud recognized the reality of many genders. I learned that fact uh, just a few weeks back, um, listening to Identity Crisis, um, Identity Slash Crisis, the podcast. Definitely go and find the one about queer people, uh, the queer community at uh, YU, at Yeshiva University. Very interesting, if you haven't heard it, very interesting um, talk about about how YU refused to recognize an LGBTQ club. Um, yeah, so that's a sidetrack. Let me get back on to my, uh, to my baby naming, which is um, that, you know, so there's complications of like, what do you do for a girl? There's no set liturgy. There's no set, there's no set anything. So we're really making it up. And um, adding to the complication of a make it, up as you go approach. The father of this of of this couple is of uh, <laughs> the father of this child is of Jewish Eastern European ancestry, while the mother mother is Chinese Malaysian and Christian. And it's another one of those situations with an interfaith couple where the Jewishness of the baby might be called into question in the majority of the Jewish world. Sadly, um, patrilineal descent is not yet widely accepted, as you may know. And people are definitely going to be asking them, you know, to which tribe, or they may not put it that way, but that's what they're thinking. Like, which tribe does this baby belong to? Where where do they truly belong? Are they really Jewish? And calling that into question, which is so harmful, so damaging. So many people walk away from Judaism because of that attitude. Um, and um, so... This couple seems to live a very secular life for the most part. And when I asked the mother how she felt about having a Jewish naming ceremony, she shrugged and said that bringing her Christian faith into this ritual was not of any consequence to her or her family. Thankfully, everyone had been very accepting. But 
at the same time, I thought it was really important to dig just a little bit more into her spiritual journey, just to make sure that she was completely comfortable. I really, I think it's very important to know where the parents are coming from when you're organizing something like this for them, when you're figuring out what to include, what not to include, what kinds of things to do. And the sister-in-law had, um, had his sister-in-law had their sister-in-law had, she was organizing it and she had all these preconceptions about how, what she thought the family and the extended family would know and what they, what they were into. And, um, and she ended up being, in my opinion, completely wrong, which was really interesting. So it's so important to know what the parents want. So, and who they are you know. So the mother shared that she had been intensely involved in her church ministry as a teenager, but when she came to the U.S. at the age of 19, and I don't know when exactly she met her husband, I didn't get the whole story, all that had changed for her. And I asked why, and they looked at each other. It was cute. It was really cute. They looked at each other very thoughtfully, made eye contact, and then simultaneously with this cute shared laugh, they said he had messed it all up for her. Meanwhile, the father has become quite nostalgic for his Jewish childhood and his bar mitzvah training, which despite how boring it had been for him, he wants that for his child. And I, of course I said, I hope, you know, these days it's better. And I hope it's, I hope it's not boring for her. Um, so the mother mostly cares about finding and recreating the kind of community that she'd had back home. And if that's through a synagogue, she's perfectly happy with that, which I thought was so interesting. Like, I really, I would love to get to know her better if I could, if I had that opportunity to find out more about where where her faith is now. And she seemed so unsure. And I didn't want to press too hard because she was a little reticent about sharing about sharing that. So fast forward to a week later and extended family were all gathered in this small dining room area in the sister-in-law's house, sister and brother, brother-in-law's and sister-in-law's house. And far away, Malaysian family was on Zoom. And right from the beginning of the ceremony, I made the mother cry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. That had not been my intention. I was like, oi, no, no. And we kind of laughed about it. I was like, you're going to start me crying. Like, it's too soon. (laughs) But what happened was I had opened with a little nigun, a wordless melody from Psalm 18, which um, is part of the songs of praise, the Hallel, which we sing during Sukkot. Um, We'd sing these during... um, during all the the festivals. And um, it seemed appropriate, considering it was the last day of the holiday, to to bring in some of that. I also brought my lulav and esrog. So this this part of this psalm is um, open the gates of righteousness and we will enter and we will thank you. And... Oh, I just, I love this one because it also has this thing about the, the, the cornerstone. Um, I'll talk about that later. I'll tell you about that later. But so Psalm 118 and it was, it, so we started with. Yeah. 
So you can imagine we'd been singing this and everybody was singing along with me, even though they didn't know it at the beginning, but they picked it up really fast. They were amazing um, for a secular family, indeed. Um, and so I, so I said, you know, this, this psalm has, these, has this line, open the gates of righteousness. And, and I said, because we have to be the ones to open these gates and set so many things right in this precious world that are wrong. And of course, there were lots of nods of agreement around the room. Yes, there's so much wrong in the world. And um, and I talked about how all the holidays from Rosh Hashanah through Simchas Torah, I talked about this last week on the podcast, they bring in joy, but also tears and nostalgia as we remember our ancestors with more than one Yisker service sprinkled in among these holidays, among these many holidays that like just bombard us, right? And I said, you know, but we're, he- we're here to celebrate this new baby with joy and also to remember ancestors from whom this beautiful baby is being named. And in addition to that, Sukkot, which we're in on the last day of Sukkot, when we, we pray for rain, and this, this is what we use the lulav and esrog for, we shake the lulav, right? Um, and we pray for rain, and, and we're, it reminds us, Sukkot reminds us of the precariousness of life through the temporary shelters we set up during this week. Um, and, and what couldn't be more true than from the onset of pregnancy through the birth and on and on, I mean, do we ever stop worrying, thinking about the, precarious, the precariousness of life and, and the precarious world that we're living in right now. And that's when I looked over at the mother and saw that she was crying because it was all so true. But we were here to bless this baby, to lend support and love to these new parents, to begin to lay the foundation of community that the couple needs to bring up a child in such precarious times. And we each put our hands over our hearts. And I I asked them, do do you guys know Reiki? Because I knew that they were a secular crowd, but mm, maybe... It was so funny, the sister-in-law had said, they're not into any woo-woo stuff, but when I asked if anybody had heard of Reiki, they may not be able to talk about God and believe in God in the traditional way, um, which so few people can today um, in our modern world, um, especially with the way the world looks. It's like, are our prayers you know, being answered? I don't think so. Like, it's up to us, and maybe that's what, to me, that's what, that's what God is. God is working through us. So anyway, we put our hands over our hearts and I reminded them that the heart is the most powerful organ of the body whose energy connects us all. And we absorbed its loving, healing energy into our palms. And by the way, that has been scientifically proven. I heard it on a podcast <laughs> and they were talking about the science of it. And and it's true that the, so we absorbed this loving healing energy into our palms and we spread it out to the family and then out to the world and we sang again 
and everyone took turns shaking the lulav and raining down blessings on the baby and on the world, holding the etrog, which is the citrus fruit, and um, that we that we have that's part of the set with the lulav, and. This has often been interpreted as a representation of the heart. And so I was like, we're going to rain down blessings. Like we, like we pray for rain on Sukkot. We're raining down blessings on this baby and on the world. And people were shaking it. They really got into it. It was amazing. Um, and that our, our blessings are also coming from our hearts. So as we held the Lula, the, the Esrug, to have that uh, awareness. And oh, at the end, the great-grandfather held the baby and gently sang her songs in Yiddish. It was so beautiful. Talk about nostalgia. And then when the moment came for naming this child, she received names that honored both her Chinese and her Jewish ancestry. As the mother explained the Chinese name, she apologetically said something about male lineage, oh, if I had been a boy, if she had been a boy, blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself... Oh, you don't need to apologize. My people have the same problem. Jews have the same problem. So this week, after many false starts to the new year, three weeks, we finally begin Genesis. We don't begin it at Rosh Hashanah, which is the most logical thing. I think last week I talked about how, you know, how it took me a long time to understand that. Why? It's a new year, so why aren't we starting the Torah again? But no, we don't. It's this whole cycle. We begin with Breshit at the beginning of the world, as our creation story goes. And in the very first chapter, second verse, very first chapter, very beginning, the earth is described as a kind of unformed void, a sort of chaos. And after creating light, and the sky, the water, and the land, God said, we will make Adam, Adam, Adam. That's where the name Adam comes from. Literally meaning creature of earth. We will make Adam in our image, with our likeness. Vayomer Elohim na'ase Adam b'tzalmenu kidmotenu. Very interesting. We will make. More on that later. The next verse says, And Elohim made Adam, earth being, in his image. In his image, Elohim made them, male and female, he made them. He made them, Elohim, bara oto, he made it. It's very confusing. The grammar is weird. Zachar unikeba. Male and female, bara otam. What does it mean that Elohim, the first name given for God, is plural? Who's the we that makes humans in our likeness? And if God has no image, which we learn about every single, like throughout the year, right? We hear that over and over again. If God has no image, then how can we be made in that image? And how is it that the first impulse is to make man and woman at the same time as equals, only to change the story later so women know that men have dominion over them and that humans have 
dominion over all other creatures. I want to end by saying we have a lot of work to do to return to that first impulse to proclaim we and ours instead of me and mine. We have a lot of work to do to return to a place of equal respect for females and for all genders. It will take a lot of work to get back in touch directly with the land and our food sources. But as we know from science, the earth is constantly correcting the mistakes we humans make as we try so desperately to have dominion over her. And we're failing so miserably. The more we try, the worse it gets. But the earth is so forgiving. It heals so fast. It's amazing if you just if we just remember back to the beginning of the pandemic when nobody was driving and everybody was stuck and oh there was so much healing in the earth's atmosphere so quickly. And then we went back to quote unquote normal. We don't want to go back to normal. We want to come to a new normal. And I heard this very inspiring uh talk yesterday as a matter of fact about how it only takes, it's not going to mean changing everybody's mind in the world. It's not going to mean changing all of the farms. No, all we need is to change some and we can have a huge impact. We can help the earth heal herself. Seeing the way this family cradled and blessed and reveled in the beauty of this new life, welcoming her with open arms, putting aside any possible concerns about each other's tribes, was a little window into a world where everyone is recognized as created in Elohim's image, a world of we. Because Elohim is plural, connected to the earth as we naturally are living in synchronicity with her, a world where we might leave nature to do its thing of healing in these very chaotic times. So we ask for the gates of righteousness to open for us so that we may enter and make what's right wrong again. And we will say thank you and amen. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Go to my website, lenegditamid.com us. It's all about us. L-N-E-G-D-I-T-A-M-I-D dot us. And you can also find me on YouTube, Juliet Elkine Cruz or Juliet the Rabbi. My videos are up. Um, and you can find a link to my website there as well. And I, I offer spiritual direction. Maybe you are meant to work with me. Maybe you are one of the people that is seeking guidance that's seeking someone to accompany you and to help guide you on your on your spiritual journey spiritual direction find it on my website call me up give me an email send me an email um maybe just maybe on your healing journey on our all of our healing journey journeys (laughs) collective one Good Shabbos. Bye. See you next week.